Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 282. So, you know, a lot of people don't want to do the work on the business plan, but I felt great about raising money from people that were very close to me because I had thought through every single inch of what, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly could happen in this business. And even still, a whole bunch of bad stuff happens that you got to kind of dig your way out of. So, so if you believe in your business and you're passionate about what you're trying to do, it's only a matter of persistence. You just can't give up. I mean, if you believe in it, you just can't give up. It's, uh, there are people out there. I mean, you know, the world is full of people that have money that they need to put to work. So you try to keep in the back of your head. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Tim McEnry. Tim, you got to tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. I am feeling unstoppable today and every day. Yes, sir. Tim McEnry earned his bachelor's degree in restaurant and hotel management from Purdue University and honed his skills at Aramark Specialty Restaurant Division and Linfrid Winery. McEnry was able to bring Cooper's Hawk Winery to life at the age of 29, opening the first restaurant in Orland Park, Illinois in 2005. 11 years and 25 locations later, Tim is crushing it, and I, I can't wait to dive into how uh, this vision, you brought this vision to fruition, and the the things you learned along the way, we're really going to pull it apart, and I, I know it's going to be awesome, but before we do that, Tim, I want to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra hit us. Yeah, my absolute favorite business quote of all time is, good is the enemy of great by Jim Collins. Mm. It's uh, It speaks so well to, I think, us and so many companies. It's easy to get complacent. So, you know, challenging ourselves every day to be the best we can be is what it's all about. I love it. It's so true. And good isn't enough. Um, if you're if you're okay with good, you will, will never make it in this industry. It's too competitive. And um, while we're on the topic of quotes, uh, just doing some reading on you, you said something that just really sang to me, uh, and I want to share that quote real quick. And that's uh, my belief is that there's always a way. Um, and I think we'll probably dig into that a little bit more as the interview goes. Uh, but do you know where I'm quoting that from? Um, not exactly, but I say it very frequently. So, so is it from uh, one of our stories? It's from the Huffington uh, Post article that I read on you. And, uh, you know, just I think if, if you have something, if you want something bad enough, um, it there's always a way if you ask how and you you aren't afraid to give up and you get creative. And I really see that being one of your qualities. Do you want to dive into what I just said? 
Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I give people, I have, um, I'm a very big believer in the fundamentals, you know, and, and, you know, hard work and making it happen. So the three major, um, kind of philosophies I have around success are, it is that, uh, determination and there's always a way, you know, a, a high level of optimism and, and hard work. You know, the second is, you know, being a lifelong learner, you know, is absolutely one of the, the keys that it has enabled me to be successful. And, uh, and the third is, you know, surrounding yourself with, you know, the, the most talented people that uh, can either compliment you or fill in the holes of what you're able to do. So, you know, those are very fundamentally simple, but they are absolutely the core, um, the core philosophy. So when it comes to, you know, determination and there's always a way, you know, there's 7,000 reasons why we should not have been able to open up our first restaurant, you know, not having money, the complexity of figuring out how to make wine, not having ever done it before. But again, if you have that belief and that determination, just keep showing up every day and keep breaking down the problems, you know, piece by piece, there's, there's always a way. Absolutely. I love it. So, uh, let's kind of get your story. Um, you grew up in the industry, right? Uh, so, um, at what point was this just a, you know, a job for now? Um, and when did you really realize that this is going to be your career? Can you, can you bring us to that point and first kind of tell us how you got into the industry? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, one of the fascinating things I think about me and, you know, my career progression or whatever is, um, it was never, um, maybe the first day when I was washing dishes, it was a job. But when I came back the second day, I mean, I, I have loved the hospitality industry since I was 11 years old. I mean, just totally awesome. I had an aunt and uncle that owned a golf course restaurant, kind of small operation that they bought. And, uh, I kind of went out there, um, as a little kid and I started parking the golf carts and sweeping and washing the dishes. And I just fell in love with all the awesome, crazy people in the restaurant industry. Um, mm. And uh, I never looked back. I, I loved how rewarding, you know, a hard day's work is and how I felt, um, you know, coming home every day, you know, all the neat relationships I had. And so that really took me through, um, you know, my entire career. So from 11, 12 years old, washing dishes to running uh, a major golf course and uh, hospitality operation at, you know, 19, 20, 19 to 22 years old. Um, I had a lot of responsibility at a young age. So, and, um, I just took the opportunities. I, I am, um, you know, my friends and family joke, I'm, I am sports illiterate. I have only <laughs> worked and studied and had fun, um, in this space and with friends and family over time. So it's really been a, uh, you know, a love affair with the industry and the people I work with. So, you know, and, and kind of the actual career progression was, you know, working my way up through those positions until I was a, a manager of a restaurant in high school. And so every day after, after school would let out, I would, go and close the restaurant. So I stayed busy, uh, went to Purdue for uh, hospitality school an absolutely exceptional school, which I, I still stay a part of. And, um, you know, and then started working, you know, with Aramark and some of these larger companies until I actually came up with the idea for Cooper's Hawk, which I'm shared as uh, happy to share with you at any point. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think the, the path you took working, uh, getting the experience, uh, getting the education, uh, getting the experience before the education, which I think is a huge key to success in this industry. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sold on you need the education, but if you're going to invest in the education, get the experience first, make sure you love it. Uh, that's a huge lesson to take away. And, um, I mean, so let me just kind of gather my thoughts and there's so many great places we can dive into. Um, so it's 2002. Uh, you're working at Aramark, working 80 to 100 hours a week, busting your ass. Uh, and you, you decide to take a trip to a winery with your then girlfriend, now wife, uh, Dana. Is it Dana or Dana? Correct. Yeah, Dana. Dana. Dana, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of when this aha moment sprung on you. So take us through 
uh, that moment and when this uh, this idea came, you know, into your head? Yeah. So we, um, you know, again, I, I, I studied in the industry and I, you know, even, you know, um, outside of college and such, I mean, just a student of business and of the industry. So you're always kind of have your eyes open. And we had this, uh, this wonderful experience at Lynch Winery. Um, and we were going out to dinner afterwards and I thought, Oh, it's too bad. They don't have a restaurant here. Like, um, you know, like brew pubs do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Hey, that's a pretty good idea. So the next morning uh, I had looked up winery restaurants on the internet and I thought there'd be a million of them, just like the, the group hubs and such. So it was at that point, I'm like, you know, it's kind of a neat idea. And then I just uh, kind of turned it into a hobby because I did have, you know, that heavy duty work schedule that I was doing all the time, but I'd find an hour in the morning and or an hour after work each day. And I would work on, you know, what would eventually become the business plan. You know, I'd start at a legal pad of menu ideas. I had a legal pad of, you know, thoughts on how we would do our training programs and, uh, you know, graph paper layout of what the hypothetical space might look like. And, and just a little bit every day for years until I decided to get serious about it. And then um, I met with some consultants to kind of, you know, run the idea by to see if they thought it, you know, kind of passed the smell test and they thought it was it was great. And that meeting is what gave me the encouragement that um, that this is a good idea. And, and again, thinking back to all the stories, you know, that you probably talked to people like this on your uh, program here, mm-hmm. um, all the people that had nothing to start with, but they figured out a way, a way to raise the money, raise the capital, put it together. And so I was, uh, again, incredibly optimistic that I could do it. Uh, thankfully, I had no idea how hard it would actually be. Because, uh, <laughs> holy cow, it is, it is hard. There is no doubt about it. Yeah, there's a few but, ways that a- ignorance can be bliss, uh, and that's one of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Very true. So I- I'm curious, uh, when you first got this idea, what specifically – uh, aside from the fact that it wasn't very uh, popular and there, you know, that was a unique selling proposition in itself, but what were the other appeals? Were, were you thinking maybe big margins because you're making the wine in house and that's a, you know, a huge part of the sales in any restaurant is alcohol. Is, is that maybe an approach you were thinking or what was it exactly that you thought was going to be appealing about uh, an idea like this? And just to kind of give the listeners an idea. Um, I don't think I really uh, explained it well in case nobody here, anybody sure. listening hasn't heard of you. Uh, you created a restaurant that's a, a restaurant wine and you've kind of uh, now you have this concept in 25 locations uh, throughout America uh, and then you've built this up in the past 11 years. That's kind of um, the, the big picture. Sorry if that wasn't clear for anybody listening. So, um, yeah, what was it that really uh, appealed to you about this, this concept? Um, a couple of things. Uh, first, I thought it gave a platform. You know, I always wanted to do have a business of my own and, and specifically, I you know, assumed it would be a restaurant because that was where my uh, passion and experience was. So um, the wine part of it, you know, wine has always been popular, but I mean, we really kind of hit the timing. So there's always a lot of luck that, that, that goes along with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was the wine concept, you know, wine was super hot, you know, actually making wine, you know, gave us a very unique factor, the potential for, like you said, um, very high uh, margins. You know, I wasn't quite sure of it at the time, but I, I felt that that would be um, an important part. And then ultimately one of the most important parts was the, um, the wine club aspect of our business. Mm-hmm. And I thought that if we could build a robust wine club um, around this business, that we would have, you know, incredibly um, passionate fans. We'd have a constant stream of visitors, you know, but it all and only works, you know, the, the novelty of making our own wine. Well, it's not a novelty anymore. It's, it's a massive business. But the novelty of, you know, making our own wine, the wine club, it only works 
if the food is great, the wine is great, there's a value proposition, you know, the buildings are well located. I mean, all the fundamentals of, you know, running a great restaurant operation have to be in place. Otherwise, the novelties, you know, for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And I was really hoping you would touch on that uh, that part of the business, which is the wine club. And uh, I mean, was that part of the original idea? Did you get that idea when you first thought of a restaurant winery or did that come with time? Yeah, well, so the idea came immediately. Um, I think, you know, Linford obviously has a wine club, but, you know, so the, the idea came immediately. But what didn't come immediately was how powerful it would be. So mm. every winery in the United States... Um, has a wine club, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a great part of having a winery, but never in a million years that I think it would do for our company, um, in the, in the, in our, in our community, what our wine club has. So, so now over the years we have, so to answer your question, I'm like, yeah, we're a winery, so we'll have a wine club, but never did I, you know, think it would be uh, such an important part of our business. Yeah. And I think the, uh, you know, we as restaurant owners, um, or I'm a restaurant person. I do not currently own a restaurant. You as restaurant owners, uh, the people who do it really well, uh, they think of multiple channels of revenue. Uh, and they and they really, I think, we, we don't do that enough. Uh, and uh, I mean, that's a whole system that you can set up on the side and eventually have it running on its own uh, that will generate huge cash flow for you. Um, and I mean, there's so many different ways you can do it with retail, but that's just a really unique way to get another channel of revenue. And I'm sure that really helped br- prime the engine for you know expansion, did it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and again, it, it started off real slow because um, we just, we kind of had it. We, we were like, yeah, we have a wine club. And, but then over time, we, you know, learned how, you know, important it could be. So we really focus our attention. And now it's, um, you know, now it's uh, over over 200,000 wine club members. I mean, it's, uh, it's absolutely massive. So, so super exciting. When you were getting this idea, were, were you thinking were you thinking it would only really work well uh, or super well on a, a larger scale? Because I'm assuming that you have uh, your central, uh, you know, headquarters where you're, you know, making the wine and you're distributing to all the restaurants, um, and that's just a massive market for one winery. Uh, so was that kind of the business plan? Was that why it was uh, appealing? And was that is that you know? kind of the, the plan from the very beginning is to be able to distribute to all these locations and serve a wide range like that? Yeah, well, you know, it actually uh, evolved. It wasn't the first the first part. So so the first the first concept was, you know, okay, well, there's a lot of brewery restaurants out there. So, boy, maybe we could have a lot of winery restaurants. So we built the first one. It went great. And, um, and you start to think, well, you know, this isn't really scalable in a way like brewery restaurants are because, you know, you have to have consistency in your product. So mm-hmm. um, bre- brews can be, you know, they're very formulaic, right? You buy from a certain vendor and, and such. So, but with wine, it's very different. So, oh, yeah. so the, the first concept when we did decide that we were going to try to grow was um, let's make different styles of wine in the restaurant. So our second restaurant, I put in all the equipment on a very small scale to produce sparkling wine. Okay. Um, so we had a little room, a little party room that had like riddling racks, you know, where those champagne bottles are there and some of the scourging machines and equipment. And um, I don't know if we ever turned it on when we put it there because it, you know, sounded like a great idea on paper, but then just wasn't kind of practical in any sense. So, um, but what we do now is we do make a little bit of wine in just about all the restaurants. We do some barrel aging so that there's some authenticity to it. But, you know, like the whole concept and everything we do, it has evolved over time to where the majority of the winemaking is is centralized. But we okay. do make wine in a, um, in a number of the restaurants. Got you. Uh, awesome. So, um, okay. Um, so I, I kind of want to dive into uh, the whole 
process of how you raise the capital. I think that's probably one of the biggest hurdles to get over if you're somebody uh, like who was in your position who didn't really have a lot of their own capital. What was that process like? Take us through that that three and a half years from idea to actuality of what that journey of raising the capital was like and how you evolved during that time. Sure. So not to be a total buzzkill for everybody listening, <laughs> but uh, it is the hardest thing yeah. I've ever done in my life. I bet. Um, <laughs> And uh, it has thankfully gotten a little bit easier over the years, but it's always it's always hard. It's always hard, even when you're successful. It's hard to raise capital. How much capital um, did you need to raise to make this happen? So we, um, I only had a little bit of savings, so um, we needed 1.4 million dollars in equity capital. So that's like investors in the business. We needed a 1 million dollar uh, bank loan, and then we needed uh, 300 thousand dollars in financing from the landlord. Um, so those were three massive hurdles along with getting a space. So, you know, you've never done it before. You don't have any net worth. And so you go meet with landlords and say, you know, Hey, you know, I want to rent, um, you know, 13,000 square feet, um, in, you know, of your, of your building. And people just thought like, Hey, you seem like a nice guy, but it's just too, 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 too much and too risky, too risky. Mm-hmm. So we're raising the capital. So what I did was, you know, as we talked about started to put together the business plan, you know, just kind of piece by piece. And then eventually, you know, here we go. I got 25 color copied business plans with the clear plastic cover, the nice black binding. I even put a black cover on the back. I was feeling really good about myself. And uh, I sent these out to people, you know, friends of friends and family. You know, what happens is um, it turns out, you know, your actual family, they remember all the dumb shit you did when you were growing up. So they're probably not the best prospect. <laughs> But, um, you know, but just people that you thought might have an interest. And so I sent out these 25 books, and I want to say a couple of weeks later, um, I didn't get a single response. Oh. And I was I was bummed. I was I'd super bummed. Dive into really, like, what you were feeling and how you overcame that. Well, you know, some of the biggest things was, you know, the little bit of money I, I had saved, um, you know, I had I was forced to be kind of investing a little bit in the business, even to get these business plans going. You know, you had to have meetings, and you had to do research. So mm. I was already, you know, kind of had spent – um, a significant, well, at the time for me, right, a significant amount of money. So, you know, you're thinking, you know, did I do this for nothing? And, and you definitely just get deflated. And, mm. and that's where, you know, I just forced myself to, you know, all right, listen, you got a good idea here. You've put some time in, get back on the horse. And so I went and I printed another 10 more and I sent it out. And I had um, a, a clause on the, one of the, on the prospectus that said, uh, minimum investment per, per person is $50,000, will not break for any reason. And this woman called um, a family friend, I think it was, or a family member, and said, "I'll give you ten. I'll give you ten thousand. I said, "I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take anything." <laughs> so, uh, so she was our first ten thousand dollar investment, and that now again ten thousand dollars. We need one point three nine million still to go, but it like supercharged my batteries that there was one person that was interested. Nice. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just kind of got a little bit of momentum. I would sit across people's kitchen tables. And if people, you know, by the end of it, um, if people had the wherewithal to be able to invest in something like this, I had become so passionate about this and I had gotten good at kind of pitching it that I was finding a lot of success. So, so we, you know, again, down to the wire to get the last investor, it was absolutely, I mean, so again, if you had 42 investors, I literally had to sit across the table from 50 people while I've got my full-time job, you know, trying to do all this. So it was, it was a massive undertaking. So if, if, if there's somebody listening right now who's where you were at that time uh, where you're, you know, you got your business plan together, you're getting ready to pull the trigger. Uh, what's your advice? Maybe they've been turned down a bunch of times and they haven't gotten that $10,000 yet. Like what's your 
your advice to that person who's in that situation right now listening to this? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, you're looking to get money from people that most likely you know and you hope to know in the future. So, mm-hmm. so with that being said and being respectful of people, you want to make sure that, you know, your business plan is lock, stock, and barrel. So, so you know, a lot of people don't want to do the work on the business plan, but I felt great about raising money from people that were very close to me because I had thought through every single inch of what, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly could happen in this business. And even still, a whole bunch of bad stuff happens that you got to kind of dig your way out of. So, so if you believe in your business and you're passionate about what you're trying to do, it's only a matter of persistence. So mm-hmm. I think to um, if you're familiar with you know Zig Ziglar who writes these uh, you know motivational um, speeches and all these and he was like the first Tony Robbins guy you know mm-hmm. and uh, and he says you know he's like it's all about persistence and it keeps showing up every day. He's like you know I used to sell vacuum cleaners door to door. He said you know what. I wouldn't sell any, you know, at first or whatever, but if I went to enough houses, eventually somebody would at least feel sorry for me and buy one because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was sweating my ass off in the sun. Yeah. He's like, it's all about persistence. So you just, you just can't give up. I mean, if you believe in it, you just can't give up. It's, uh, there are people out there. I mean, you know, the world is full of people that have money that they need to put to work. So yeah. you try to keep in the back of your head. Absolutely. And just one thing that I, I took away from uh, listening to you talk was, uh, you know, you get better with time. That's one thing too. If you, if you're stepping up to the plate and you're swinging at the, you know, the fences and you're striking out constantly over time, you're, you're going to get better at swinging the bat and you're going to, you know, be able to, or better at pitching, like, you know, pitching the, uh, the concept and the idea and but that doesn't happen unless you start and yeah you're going to get gas and but know that there's going to be something along the line that will pick you back up again and for you it was that ten thousand dollars i mean you were almost out of gas but then you you got that ten thousand dollars and you said yes i got something and that will you know if you start and just keep going you will get picked back up there will be good things that happen and over time it just snowballs it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you'll look back at your life and go man i almost quit and you'll be like so happy you didn't. So awesome stuff. Uh, very inspir- uh, inspirational there. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, so one thing that I picked up just doing my research was that you lease your space. Uh, and I know a lot of people in this industry, you know, think that the restaurant industry is first and foremost a, a real estate industry. It's all about, you know, you have those assets and the properties you own. So uh, you're quoted as saying our capital is better used managing restaurants. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, we, we know a lot about real estate, but we are not, you know, uh, you know, the most sophisticated real estate investors. In, in order to be a sophisticated real estate investor, you have to spend a full-time, uh, you know, full-time career, you know, focusing on and studying markets and, and real estate and such. So in my experience, and, and I have studied real estate um, heavily now for a number of years, you know, the returns that we're able to make in our operating business as a restaurant company are far beyond what can be made in owning your own real estate. Mm-hmm. Owning your own real estate as, as, a, as a restaurateur is much different than what you hear of people, you know, investing in real estate for speculation or developing a shopping mall or a real estate center. That type of real estate, you know, can be incredibly lucrative. Um, paying, you, using a ton of your own capital. So, you know, to lease a space versus owning it, I mean, to own the building and the dirt, I mean, that could be, that could be, you know, an extra three to four million dollars. So the type of return by, you know, uh, appreciation, tax benefits, paying down the mortgage, et cetera, is, is child's play in comparison to the returns of a successful restaurant operation. So I know people have like, you know, comfort in, well, I can always fall back on the real estate. 
but it's such a massive investment in today's um, environment to try and uh, to try and do that. No, I, so, I, I, I get that. And I think that um, it can kind of be dangerous. I mean, you don't want your only asset to be the property. You want your asset to be the conception, the, the mission, the, what, you know, what you're trying to do, how you're trying to change the world, your, you know, your restaurant. Uh, and I feel like if you get too lax on just thinking at, of your, you know, I don't think looking at a restaurant as a piece of property is the, the right mentality to have. So I, I, there's a part of me that's there with you on that, um, you know, because it's kind of like burning the ship, you know, uh, like they say, like when, when you do anything in life, you want to burn the ship, you, you don't, if you have the property there, it's an exit strategy and that's not burning the ship, you know? Uh, so yeah, it just, and it just makes it, especially if you're just starting up, it just makes it that much harder to, uh, to have to come up with that much more money. But sometimes, I mean, and not to be talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I'm going to, because it's important here is yeah. you know, to get the right location. And if there is a good opportunity and you can buy the building and it makes good economic sense and it doesn't make things more complicated, um, that could be a great play. Mm-hmm. But what you just want to make sure is, you know, you don't, you know, you don't want to, there is more um, disaster in owning real estate than there is upside, in my opinion, from what I've experienced over, uh, over time. Heard. Awesome. Um, so I want to talk about how you evolved as a restaurant owner. So we're up to this point, we've really just been talking about everything that happened before you opened. So when you opened, I mean, you were doing it all. You were, uh, you were like a one-stop shop kind of owner where you were making the wine, you're, you had, you know, influence in the kitchen, front of house, you were doing it all. So how have you evolved as a restaurant tour of somebody who attracted, like you mentioned earlier, the power of attracting people to you who are better at certain things and putting them on, on the right seat, uh, on the bus and walk us through what that evolution looked like for you. Sure. So, so I am, um, at my core, a restaurateur, absolutely. Um, but what I have evolved into um, purposefully is a, you know, is, is an executive of a, you know, significantly sized company now with 3,500 employees. So, mm-hmm. so it's a different, um, you know, just being very blunt, it's a wildly different job than when I started, you know, and opened up the first restaurant and did wear all the hats and made all the wine and, you know, did all the, you know, the general manager duties, et cetera. So today, um, let's really dive into that, though. Let's really dive into what that experience was like. Somebody who might be going through that, like really talk about how you got through those early days. Yeah. So the, the early days were, you know, wake up at four, four o'clock in the morning, go to the restaurant, count the money, um, you know, just do a walkthrough, make sure, you know, everything's kind of coming together, mm-hmm. go check on the lines. Um, you know, I try to because I did have a, um, I and we have always been systems oriented and process oriented. So, you know, we opened up and so we're still trying to develop our training materials better, creating checklists, you know, working on, you know, our theoretical food costs and all this kind of stuff. Well, theoretical food costs was probably not day one. That was like, uh, that took a little while. Um, but, you know, just kind of that, you know, literally general manager plus the winemaking responsibility, plus trying to move the business forward. So that was kind of like what my, what my days and weeks were like. And it was every day. It was all day into the night. You know, when it was quiet, I would try to sneak out at, you know, eight o'clock to, you know, get some rest or to do some family time. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was heavy duty. So what was the, the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And the one thing I'd say, as we kind of talk about the transition, I, I will say that it is, what I think is probably, so once you get your business open, right, that's, that's the hardest part. But then the second hardest part is that evolution as a business owner to, to be able to, to kind of take it to the next level. And there's some key things that I've learned over the years that 
I think could be helpful. And I've also, you know, now watching and seeing other business owners, you know, where they kind of get hung up and where they get stuck. Uh, there's a couple of fascinating um, theories I have about it. So what are those key things? If you could just lay, first just list them out real quick and we'll start pulling back some of the layers on them. Yeah. So the first, um, which has definitely been said before, I mean, I think, you know, the McDonald's story says it clearly is, you know, um, as a business owner, people spend too much time working in their business instead of on it. You know, you are not going to be able to push the thing forward or open up your second location or your third location if you are trying to expo, you know, yes, we want to talk to every guest, but, you know, you, you just you just can't do it all. So you have to make conscious decisions on where you spend your time. And so that's that's probably the, the first big one. The second big one, which I think is um, what I when I watch other business owners and talk to people and people ask me the question, like, how did you how did you do it? You know, I get I got my first one open, but how did you do, you know, the second is is that decision to hire someone who is either close to as smart or can do the job as well as you can or better? Because you can't focus on uh, working on your business if you're forced to work in it. So, you know, our first big hire, uh, a guy named Tom, you know, he was, you know, we were maybe open just a few months or whatever, but, you know, the idea of, you know, hiring a six-figure executive, you know, 11 years ago when we just had one place open to, and not executive, but a restaurant operator so that I could focus on our stuff, I mean, you know, some of the people thought I was crazy, that that was just way overkill, but it was the only way. And without that key hire, I wouldn't have been able to go and focus on what I should be focused mm. on for the business. And so that mentality still continues on today to where my job is, is just wildly different than, um, than, it, than it was historically. So uh, the two key things I have right now, the first being uh, work in, or instead of working in your business, work on your business and get to the point where you can make it your job to work on your business. And then second, hire people who are better uh, at certain things than you are. So are those the two things? Is there any other key that I might have missed or you want to add? Those are the two biggest ones. And I think that's, that's, where, that's where people get hung up. They're, they're, they're unable to – and it's hard, right? I mean, it's really hard um, you know, to, to pull off. And, yeah, the only other one I would add is um, you have to work on, on yourself as well. You have to be committed. So, you know, my ability to run this company today, I, I was far from able to do what I'm doing today five years ago, ten years ago, et cetera. I mean, I had to consciously study, you know, so whether that's learning about finance and accounting at a much deeper level, whether it's, you know, um, learning about real estate as we spoke about. I mean, all, you know, learning how to build a team of people that are all brighter, smarter, and more experienced than you is a learned skill set. So you have to put the time in on yourself because what happens is if you are successful, so, you know, you can't really see it, but you imagine, you know, a graph where the line, you know, so let's talk about Cooperstock growth, right? Mm -hmm. Cooperstock growth has been kind of like almost straight up. You know, we, we went from one restaurant to 25 restaurants in 10 years, um, and they're all high volume. I mean, a big operation. Yeah, and you're, so you're I heard somewhere you're averaging 8.7 per, uh, 8.7 million uh, per year. Oh. So, I mean, That's you're doing correct. great. Uh, like, there's some, this, oh, this, this isn't a little operation. Sorry to cut you off. I just want to kind of put that to scale for the listeners. No, thank you. So, what happens is, is you know, in a business like ours, the, the business is growing, you know, like to the moon, but your average person, including, you know, yourself, um, or I'm speaking to myself, you, you, you can't personally, it's, it's very, very difficult to personally develop yourself at that same pace. So, that's why it's very important that you bring in people that, can supplement where you're unable to. Because otherwise, if you're growing at that pace, but you don't have the infrastructure, the wheels fall off and the whole thing falls apart and you're, uh, you're done for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, such great advice here. Um, and uh, just real quick, um, when you uh, 
you said you were always really big on systems, processes, procedures, all that stuff. So I feel like you had that going into the restaurant. Um, what was like the first thing that you did uh, when you were in the first few years that really had the biggest impact on allowing you to transition from working in your restaurant to working on your restaurant? Yeah. I mean, so the biggest thing was, um, was, you know, was the, the key hire and the key hires that, that enabled me to do it. Um, and I think the other one was I had, you know, again, one of our early investors who was a very wise man and, and continues till to this day to give me great advice. You know, he kind of took me aside and he's like, Hey, um, you know, you got a great thing going here. Have you thought about that? It can be more than one restaurant and, you know, that you can really kind of grow something. So I guess the big part is, is you've got to have the vision of, of what it can be. So once, once you see it, you know, in your mind that, you know, it could be something very special, you know, then you've got some wind behind your sails to, to be encouraged to figure it out. And so by opening up more restaurants, you come hell or high water, you are forced to learn how to delegate, hire and, you know, kind of make it happen. Otherwise, it, you know, again, all falls apart. So when you're looking at all the different moving parts of a restaurant and you're trying to decide uh, where you belong, how do you start um, prioritizing the areas that you're going to outsource or to replace yourself with other people? How do you know where to start? Well, I, I, you know, a couple of things. So, um, you know, selfishly, you start with uh, what, what are the things that I just don't like to do, you know? So, you know, I, um, you know, our, we have a wonderful human resources team here. Uh, thank goodness, because, you know, I suck at all the compliance stuff. I mean, it's, you know, that's super, super technical, super legal. You got to read a lot, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so they thankfully uh, handle that. Um, you know, I, I love, you know, the finance aspect of the business and, and I'm very well studied in finance and accounting and, you need to have, especially at our level, I mean, you need to have a great finance person. So, so you look for one of two things, things you don't like to do and aren't passionate about and things where people exist that can do a better job. So still so today for Cooper's Hawk, I'm not a, you know, professionally trained chef. I am, I am, you know, not, I, I can hold my own barely in the kitchen, but I know the culinary um, needs of this company. So still today, highest value, one of the highest value places that I play is, I, with our head chef of the company, continue to drive the food program and what that looks like here at the company. That's somewhere that I can play probably the best for me, the best for the company. And, uh, you know, with our head chef, Matt, as our, uh, as my partner in it, we, you know, I think we do make a great team. So does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You're dropping gold on us right now. I'm loving every (laughs) second of this. You're really spelling it out, uh, uh, clearly. Uh, so What's your day look like now? So how have you evolved? Uh, you said you, you as a person have evolved. So what does the new Tim look like versus the Tim 11 years ago? How have you evolved personally? Well, I'm definitely better looking. So that's coming <laughs> come, come in a good way. Nice. Um, now, yeah. You know, I, it's, it's definitely – it's um, so I've, I've, um, I've learned to manage my time in a much better way. Um, it's just uh, – you know, it's just different. I, I'm, I'm calmer, you know, so I don't know if you ever saw Men in Black where at the, at the end of the movie or whatever, you know, Will Smith's all freaking out because, you know, they're coming to invade the planet and Tommy Lee Jones is like, every day somebody's trying to come to invade the planet. We'll figure it out. Just take a deep <laughs> breath. So it feels like that every day. Every day somebody walks into my office and they're like, okay, we have a massive major problem and everybody's freaking out. It's like, okay, every day there's some massive yeah. major fire. So I'll take a deep breath. So 
so that's been uh, a good part. I definitely um, I'm incredibly encouraged and excited about our future. So you know, so I've got um, I've got a lot of excitement there. And yeah, and then I just when it comes to my you know to, to my workday and schedule, it's um, it's very um, office driven. So I'm trying to figure that out um, because I do. Uh, have a desire to not be in the office all the time and to be out, you know, in the field as best as I can. But it's, um, you know, it's it's very, it's a it's a very, um, I want to say executive type job, but it's it's leading teams, leading a team of people. You know, really, there's 130 people that work in our corporate office here. We call the Restaurant Support Center and in the winery. Mm-hmm. And and my job is to make sure that the clutter is out of their way so that everybody has a clear, concise definition of what we're trying to accomplish here and what success yes. looks like. Yes. And with that, everybody can kind of take over the world. So I'm kind of, you know, if you've read Danny Meyer's book um, before, you know, we're just constantly, you know, recentering the salt shaker to make sure everybody knows exactly. where we're going. And uh, so. you said something I was hoping you would allude to, and I think you kind of just did that. Your job as, a, you know, the CEO now is to make sure everybody knows what direction we're going in and keeping everything going in the same direction. And I, I think um, what's the key, uh, if there's one thing we can do in our restaurants to make it crystal clear about what direction we're going in, what can we do to make sure everybody's on board pulling in the same direction? It's that just that, you know, and, and we struggle with it today still, but it's that just over communication, right? Making sure that everybody understands what's going on, what, what we're trying to accomplish. You know, one of the, the best things, the, the, the biggest exercises that we did as a company early on, probably four or five years into it, was we brought in this wonderful woman named Debbie Benedetti out of um, San Francisco. I'm sorry, Sonoma. She lives in Sonoma. Can you say that name? In, was it Benny? Say the name one more time. Yeah, Debbie. Yeah, Debbie Benedetti. That's a, that's a tongue twister. Yeah, I'll send you an email. I'll send you you have it. Um, she is uh, absolutely exceptional. And so we met at a... Um, we met at a conference and so we ended up coming to an agreement where she was going to come out and do a couple day session with the leadership of the company, which was basically four general managers, me, our head chef and a couple other folks. And we sat in a room for two days and just talked about what are all the behaviors that we do as a company that have enabled us to be successful. So not the things that we want to be doing, but the things that we're doing because we found some success. So we, we, we narrowed it all down over these two days to the four values of our company here at Cooperstown, mm. which is we care about people, we're committed to being the best, we're different, and we have fun and celebrate. Mm. And those four values are everybody, all 3,500 people in the company, whether you're the CEO, the dishwasher, a server, they all know the four cold. They all know that that's the recipe for success at Cooperstown, and you have to have all four of them. So when we interview people, for you know, big jobs, medium jobs, whatever jobs, all the interview questions are surrounded or, 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 or incorporate those four values so that we can understand, are these people the right fit mm. for our culture at Cooper Sox? So that clarity is so powerful. Oh, man, absolutely. I'm loving this. Uh, and you, this is a conversation that came up recently, and you, you really have to echo these things day in, day out, almost to the point where it becomes super cheesy and like, like, oh, like not. I don't want to say like overdo it, but like you, you have to make sure these values and these the the what and who you are is like ringing in and out of the ears of people every day. And how do you do that? Um, it's just it's just constant dedication, constant discipline. I mean, we are. I mean, we have so much fun here. We we're crazy, and I mean, we're doing fun stuff, but. But we are disciplined. I mean, we are, I mean, you know, and it's, um, I, I love, you know, another one of my favorite quotes is uh, a great routine will set you free. 
So, you know, you can't work on all the cool stuff until, you know, we make sure that, you know, hot food hot, cold food cold, you know, place is clean, you know, and it's clean consistently every day. I mean, the fundamentals are, the fundamentals are everything. You know, and I, Rich Melman said it, um, you know, years ago when I went to one of his seminars, he's like, if, if the food is great and the wine is great and the service is great and the place looks great, you know, the concept is just like this, this kind of layering, right? You know, you could have, I think he said, he's like, you could have monkeys running around serving the food if, uh, if, if all the fundamentals are in place, you know? Mm, and absolutely. that's what, uh, he, he couldn't be more right. I love it. Uh, so we can learn so much from the successes of people and the stories from those, but we also can learn a lot from the failures. So when was a time uh, you failed in this journey? Take us through that failure and what you learned from that experience. Oh man. Yeah. We've done so much <laughs> dumb stuff. Um, I think probably one of the, um, I don't even know if it's a specific example, but probably one of the things that I have really worked hard on is like when I wake up in the morning and, and I've come up with, you know, the next great idea for Cooper Sark or whatever, you know, sometimes I get a little over, over anxious and, you know, I, and, and I, I get that. Avoid, <laughs> <laughs> I bet. The uh, I, I avoid this the the, um, the system path. So, for example, like you know, if we come up with a new idea today, you know, there's a there's a process that that goes through to get vetted out, and um, you know, everybody gets to have an opinion. Ultimately, I get to make you know the, the final decision if it's appropriate. Um, so, probably the biggest blow ups that I've ever made are when I say this is such a no brainer. Skip the seven week testing process and let's just plug this thing in because I just know it's going to be awesome. And even if I'm right that it's going to be awesome or it ultimately turns out to be awesome by, by, by skipping the process of giving people an opportunity to be a part of it. Um, it just always, it, it never rolls the way that it, that it could have. So um, I'm trying to think of a uh, specific example of like that, but, but, but that's, that's really it. You got to listen and, um, and you got to let people, you know, that's why you, you know, that's why we bring all these people, these smart people here so that they can have an opinion. Ultimately the decision's on me, but, it's using the resources that you have, not just, um, you know, giving it lip service. I love it. Beautiful yeah. stuff. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor and we'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. <laughs> Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy to access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual members ships are only $9 a month and as a restaurant unstoppable listener you receive an extra 50% off your first month so what are you waiting for for $4.50 you can have access to this incredible resource right now just find the tipsy banner in the show notes okay we are back and the first question i have for you tim is what is an it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success um it's got it's got to be the determination and just just that 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 level of i think we call it um it was in one of jim collins books or whatever but uh practical optimism Mm. right so i mean every day this business 
and the world, I mean, it's like Rocky talks about, man. It just wants to beat you down and spit you out, but you got to just be optimistic and you got to surround yourself with people that charge up your batteries and, um, that's, you know, beautiful. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is, um, I probably move too fast sometimes. I think that's, um, you know, again, I get a little excited and, uh, (laughs) so, but yeah, that's, I don't know. I probably have a long list. You should ask some of my coworkers here. They could probably <laughs> fill up a couple hours for you. <laughs> All right. What is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Um, I, I think, you know, servant leadership, you know, humility, you know, you have to be willing to do whatever you're asking other people to do. And, and they need to know that at their core. And they need to know that you ultimately care about them. Nobody today wants to work for somebody just because that person is their boss. People want to, people want to be a part of something and you have to set the stage so that people do feel a part of it. So when you were still doing, I'm assuming you don't do the hiring anymore. Uh, but when you were doing the hiring, what was one question you were asking or one thing you were looking for in somebody? Yeah, I, I always, I like having fun and I, I, I have always used this phrase. Um, I never want to hire anybody. No one should work at Cooper's Sock if there's someone that I wouldn't want to go out and have a beer with mm. or a glass of wine. I guess that's probably more appropriate. Um, but, <laughs> But I just, I, so I would ask people, you know, like, Hey, tell me an example of something fun you've done recently. Or, uh, you know, you know, have you heard any funny stories, you know, just stuff that would kind of be able to test. I mean, I want to work with people that don't take themselves too seriously, that have a sense of humor, you know, and, and then, you know, open up the the doors, let them in and and hopefully they want to be a part of what we're doing. But really those, the, the values are, yeah, I mean, I had an interview last week with, uh, you know, a high-level accounting person, and I literally just asked four questions that all tied back to the four values that gave me a sense of his work, work ethic, how he cared about people, his, you know, ability to change because we change quickly here, and also uh, his ability to have fun. No, and, um, yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of to add on to that, I mean, you said you, you, you hire people that you, you like, that you want to spend time with, that you can see being a good time. Uh, and that's so important because I feel like, as leaders, as owners, um, the big part of success in this industry is uh, caring as being a servant leaders, caring about the people uh, enough that you're you're willing to work with them, will, willing to work with them and help them grow as professionals. And if you like somebody, that job will be so much easier because you are you care about them. When you care about people, you want to see them be successful. And when you really don't like somebody, if they're not rubbing you the right way, you're going to be less likely to do your job to bring them up. Uh, so I think that's a very important thing uh, that you, you you shared with us. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I I agree. You know, sometimes this stuff is not that complicated, right? But we can <laughs> overcome the shit out of it. Yeah. Uh, so what is um, a current challenge your restaurants are dealing with and how are you dealing with them? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, the biggest challenge today is um, probably the same as it's always been, but it just continues to get harder is just the challenge to, to get great people, find great people to, to come and work and be a part of Cooper's Hawk. I mean, we've got a wonderful place. We've got a wonderful, we take care of our people. Um, we pay as competitively as, as we can. But man, it is just so competitive out there. And, um, you know, and people want to, you know, it's sometimes, you know, entry level work in the restaurant industry is, is very difficult, as you know, and, you know, very hard work. So it just gets harder and harder to get people to want to commit to the industry. Um, and I loved it. I've always loved it. Um, you know, the hard work and the fun part about it. But, you know, the younger ages, as we talk about millennials and such, and, you know, there's, you know, it's, it's a little bit all over the bag, in my opinion, but people just are a little bit, um, you know, adverse to coming into the restaurant industry. So what so, are you doing to deal with that challenge? 
So what we do is we're, we just, we're constantly working on it. It's one of our, it's our number one strategic objective for this upcoming year is how do we make Cooper's Hawk the most wonderful, compelling place to work in the industry? And it's not just about money, right? I mean, it's got to be a great work environment. How do we take care of people? What kind of cool incentives can we give people? And just trying to think out of the box to make it... Uh, so get specific. It, what are some of those things you're doing that um, make you more appealing? Sure. So one thing we're working on is um, it's a tenure-based um, compensation program. So okay. if you're an hourly employee, you know, you come in at a certain wage, and instead of saying, hey, if you do a good job, you know, maybe you'll get you know, 50 cents one day. Well, now it's like, hey, if you do a good job, you get to stay. And second of all, if you stay for three months, six months, nine months, two years there's um, increments where they know exactly what their pay increase. So there's a, they can see the future a little bit. Like, wow, if I stick around this place for two years, I'm going to make 50% more money than I'm making right now because they have so much value. You know, the, the, you go to some restaurants, and you've probably seen this in, in your career. There's some restaurants where you've got like a line cook that, you know, has been at the place for 10 years, and he, could, he or she could literally run all four stations at one time because they just know it so yeah. cold. Oh, yeah. The value that employee provides to – our or any organization is worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. So what's one thing besides food and wine your restaurant does really well that, that separates you from others? Oh, I think um, our service. And, and not our service in the sense of, like, we have this incredibly polished service. I mean, our service is polished. But the relationships that mm. our servers, bartenders, taste room attendants form with our guests, I mean – they go to like I, I find like our our you know coworkers and such. I mean they're they're attending our our guests and wine club members' weddings and mm-hmm. vice versa. Like I saw some guests last week and they're like, oh, I was at Steve's wedding last week That's and I'm awesome. like, no way, I, I wasn't invited. How'd you get invited? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, what is one book we must read to become better people or restaurant professionals? There's no doubt about it. The Jim Collins series of books are absolutely the most powerful books I have ever read. And probably, you know, if I didn't read those books, you and I might not be on the telephone right now. The biggest lesson in like two sentences that you took from his books. Um, so he's the, you know, he's the good, good is the enemy of great. And um, his, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's a couple points of it or whatever, but it's all about this methodical approach, right? So it's this, this flywheel concept. If, you, if, you're, if you're familiar, it basically it's like, so you open up our first restaurant and imagine this huge flywheel that's made of steel and you want to kind of get it going. It's so hard to get it going. Mm. But now all of a sudden, 10 years later, with all these wonderful people that I get to work with every day, the thing is spinning. And now, you know, you're more likely, he talks about, you're more likely to die of indigestion um, of so many opportunities versus a, a lack of opportunities. So... Um, that's not a two sentence or sorry. No, but what's the point there (laughs) to to just create that momentum and over time it gets easier as long as you keep showing up and focus on being great. That's what I took away from what you said. Well said, man. That's exactly beautiful. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurants that's really helped you, uh, communicate better or just be more efficient or more profitable? Yeah, I think the, the, you know, what I would call innovative because I think most of the rest of our stuff is, um, it's state of the art, but everybody's kind of doing it. If you're a high performing company, what we do is I have a, a television up in the back of every kitchen in kind of the employee break area. And it gives me the idea. I got this from Walmart years ago. Um, Sam Walton came up with it. I could at any moment I could go and broadcast to the entire company, a certain message, a message of thanks or whatever. Um, and we're constantly, we have information up on these TV screens. So there's constant, um, you know, drip education around wine, about our food, about upcoming stuff in the company. So that's, I think, one of the, uh, from a technology perspective, it's not like 
anything crazy, but that communication is very powerful. With all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time, say back to 2005 when you were getting started and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Man, hang in there. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, What is one question you think I could have asked you that would have provided more value to this interview? Um, I thought you did absolutely outstanding, man. This is one of my favorite interviews. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. I mean that. I mean that sincerely, just so you know. And, and um, I think, yeah, just the, the, probably the one thing is, you know, what, what are my top three, which I think we talked about, top three, um, you know, leadership lessons and just always coming back to perseverance and keep showing up, lifelong learning and surrounding yourself in whatever way that looks like with great people and people that either do stuff that you don't like to do or could do stuff better than you and, and, and making peace with you're not going to be the best at everything is, is just critical. Amen, brother. You've been amazing. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. Fabio Viviani called you out and now it's your turn to call somebody else out. Who's one indie restaurant professional or owner you admire and think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you've been for us today. Well, I would do, uh, you know, here you got Fabio. He's uh, my soul brother. Um, but uh, I would call out, I'm going to see him tomorrow, uh, Scotty Wise from Scotty's Restaurants based out of Indianapolis. This guy is, uh, he's the real deal. Scotty, look out, man. I am coming after you. would love <laughs> to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know how they can connect with you or somebody in your restaurant. Uh, maybe if they want to uh, come work for you, uh, learn under you, what's the best way to connect? Yeah, I'm happy to share uh, my email, and people can uh, can reach out directly, and um, myself or someone in the organization will grab it. But my email is T, as in Tim, uh, McEnery, M-C-E-N-E-R-Y, at C, as in Charlie, H, as in Hector, winery.com. And this is episode 283, so just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 283. I'll have that email in the show notes, as well as a summary of today's discussion. Tim. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Great, great, great time. I really enjoyed it. It was a pleasure spending time with you. And uh, I'm here if I can ever be of help to you or any of the listeners. Uh, awesome. I've had, I was blessed to have a lot of help in my life, and I'm happy to share uh, however I can. Well, that was awesome. If you are not just jacked up right now, I don't know what to tell you. You're not in the right industry. Uh, this this was great. Tim McEnry, man, you're just spitting gold on us today. Uh, so many amazing things came out of this interview, and it's hard for me to recap on just one of them. Uh, but, you know, I think we just need to talk about this this mentality. It's as simple as the mentality you have sometimes, and Tim's mentality of there is always a way Uh, that is so powerful, especially in the beginning when you're looking for the capital, you're looking for any way to make your dream come true. You have to know there is always a way, but you have to stay open minded. You just have to keep showing up every day. It took him three years Three years to get the money he needed, and he was constantly just refining his, his business plan and working on his pitch, and he, you get better over time. You, you, you get clearer with your mission and your vision, and you're able to sell it, but you have to start, and you have to have that mentality, that optimistic mentality that there is always a way. Um, he also mentioned the, the value in the significance of multiple channels of revenue. Uh, I think that's one thing that we don't do well. We get so narrow-minded in this industry. It's more than just uh, you, you can 
there's other ways to make a great living aside from just serving food and great hospitality. Um, what else do you do? Well, I mean, there, there's, there's different platforms out there today to get your products online. Uh, Gold Belly is one of them. I mean, there's a, I, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there's, there's ways that you can get your, your special, your, your unique selling proposition into the world, cataloging, uh, get creative, get, get multiple, you know, retail, get creative. Uh, there's, there's always another way to, to, add on a channel of revenue. And then he laid those three keys uh, to his success on us today. Just, um, you know, the moving from working in your business to on your business. And you do that with systems, processes, procedures. He mentioned uh, the power of hiring people who are as good as, as you or better than you. Um, so you can focus on what it is that you do great. And I mean, you're not going to be the best at everything. There's lots of variables in this industry. Find out what you're really good at, focus on doing that, and then find people who share uh, the similar passions, have the same core values you do, uh, and plug them into your business. You know, Get them on your bus and put them in the right seat. Uh, he also said, work on yourself. Uh, and that's one thing too. I think, uh, the, the journey of, of self-improvement never ends when you're in this industry. And it's those who are truly successful that understand that the hustle never ends. Uh, you got to work on yourself. You got to sharpen the saw. You got to pay attention to the industry and find out what's going on out there, especially today where things are changing faster than ever. You really got to keep your nose to the grind and, uh, stay sharp. And the best way to stay sharp is to uh, work on yourself, to educate yourself, to read. You, you've you got to read. Um, you've got to surround yourself with those great minds. And if you don't like reading, if you're like me, if you don't really enjoy sitting down to read, then check out Audible. Uh, audiobooks are amazing, uh, and I am an affiliate. So head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable if you want to discover the power of just audiobooks. And Jim Collins' books are both on there, good to great. And... Um, and built to last uh both those books will be in the show notes this is episode 282 so just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 282 for a summary of today's discussion in the uh links to those books i'll have a link to audible in there as well if you can't remember uh the special affiliate link using my links guys don't forget they do that does support the show and any support i can get really does help um that's it uh, just reminders, like always, do connect with me. I love those 15-minute one-on-one chats. So just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one or find the banners on the homepage to set up that, that chat. And I mean, we're just we just going to talk sometimes. We just got to get our thoughts out. And we sometimes, you know, it just helps to get to get a second opinion. I've talked to incredible people. I've, I've heard amazing stories and I can listen to your story, find out where you are and maybe help make some suggestions, put you in touch with some people that can help you recommend some books that get you going the right way. That's what I'm here for. Plus I learn a ton about how I can best serve you, my listeners through those conversations. If you don't want to, if you don't want to talk, shoot me a Facebook message, facebook.com slash restaurant unstoppable or an email, Eric at restaurant I love listening uh, to your feedback or reading your feedback and hearing from you. And, uh, I guess that's it. Um, five star reviews. Don't forget them. They help so much and spread the word. That's the best way you can support the show. Anybody who's aspiring to be great in this industry, just let them know this, this resource resists or resists. It doesn't resist. It exists though. And I'm here for you. I'm getting tired. All right, guys, until next time, peace out.